0: The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivalled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online. Plus, a £20 Amazon gift voucher. Absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk
1: forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Cindy Yu, and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Katie Bulls. So today is the one-year anniversary of Rishi Sunak's premiership, but it's also Prime Minister's questions. Katie, how did it do? So we had a joke from Rishi Sunak today, which I think it's fair to say drew laughter
2: from across the House um, in the sense that Keir Starmer was welcoming his two new Labour MPs. Let's see how long they stay there after the next election. But for now, the two Labour MPs who have won those uber once-safe Tory seats of Mid-Bedfordshire and Tamworth. And he's welcoming them. It's obviously a high point for the Labour Party. And Richard Sunak said he also welcomed the member of mid Bedfordshire. And he hoped and actually had some faith that they might actually be more supportive uh, to him than the one that came before, given that was Nadine Doris. And I think Nadine Doris is a net negative in terms of support for Rishi Sunak. So just having someone who's not spending all the time trying to bring him down in various ways rather than just through the general election could be an upgrade. Other than that, it was largely focused on cost of living. I think that there's always that thing after, I think, a disappointing result, such as the by-elections, where it can feel quite doomsday in the days after it. And almost, I think, having the Prime Minister at the dispatch box with his MPs behind him does just bring a bit more of a sense of, you know, when you watch that, obviously we can still call people and get them to say the things that we know are being said about Rishi Sunak. But I think it did put on a bit more of a united front after probably a difficult few days with the
1: Prime Minister. Isabel, someone who did come up quite a lot in Prime Minister's questions was uh, Andrew Cooper, who was a Conservative candidate for Tamworth, one of the by-elections. And Tell us why he features so heavily.
0: Yeah, this was because of some comments he made online, which were unearthed during the by-election campaign, where he'd um, said that families who were struggling to feed their children should F off. I think we'll say delicately on this podcast, and that was how Keir Starmer quoted it uh, in the House of Commons, having reassured the Speaker that he wasn't going to say it verbatim. And Keir Starmer formed all of his answers really around this comment uh, by the Tory Tamworth candidate, as he kept referring to Cooper as, and really turned the session back into political knockabout. Last week, Starmer didn't even really ask any questions. He just made statements of Labour's um, position and its support for Israel's right to defend itself. Uh, Whereas because he's had some tensions, which we'll uh, come on to in a minute, over his stance on Israel, he clearly decided that political knockabout was safer and that he hadn't actually really done a big victory lap uh, following those by-election results last week. The situation in uh, Israel and Gaza has, has naturally and rightly dominated the news agenda. And uh, Labour were quite quiet, actually, over over the weekend, partly because of this this growing tension within the party. And so this was the moment for, for Starmer to, to, to step in and remind his party that they'd just uh, won two historic victories. I don't think it worked that well. I think the candidate for Tamworth was doing a lot of hard work in that session. And by the time we got to the sixth question, uh, where Starmer had his payoff, that it was uh, time for the electorate to uh, repay the compliment on being told to F off. I I could see the look on the sort of his colleagues faces uh, around him on the Labour benches, almost of relief that they weren't going to have to hear the words, the candidate for Tamworth, possibly ever again. And Sunak mocked Starmer for having prepared answers, prepared lines, and uh, for claiming that he hadn't answered a question uh, when he actually had. Now, you could say that Starmer has prepared that allegation with a reasonably good basis, which is that Sunak doesn't really answer the questions, the Prime Minister's questions. So it's a reasonable bet that you can accuse him of not doing so each week. But I think actually, despite the, you know, as Katie says, the difficult few days for the prime minister politically, actually the session worked more in his favour than I was expecting it to, which is odd.
1: Mm. And and Katie, as Isabel says, part of that is, to, is because Keir Starmer wanted to avoid Israel altogether. Um, this is something that we've been talking about on this podcast for a little bit now, but the situation only seems to be getting worse for the Labour Party. Tell us about the latest developments of people's opposition and criticisms of Keir Starmer's position on Israel-Palestine. Yes, as we said on the podcast yesterday, this has been
2: slowly building ever since the LBC interview Keir Starmer gave at Labour conference, in which he was asked about whether, you know, it israel was allowed to defend itself by cutting off water and electricity to gaza and he appeared in his answer to suggest yes that upset lots of figures i'd say lots in his party lots of muslim voters but also some beyond that and since then he's been trying to put a lid on it so you've had the leader's office trying to say well he didn't actually mean that We'll clarify what he meant Um, this does actually count. You have Anna Sawa yesterday, the Scottish Labour leader, um, being very clear that he thinks that Israel has broken um, international law on humanitarian grounds in how it has treated Gaza when it comes to water and electricity, which is further than Keir Starmer has gone. And while that wasn't a direct attack on Keir Starmer, I think it tells you enough about you know, how some are going stronger than Keir Starmer has and the pressure he is under. Today, Keir Starmer met with some Muslim MPs in his party and ahead of that, some, in, some of the MPs were saying they would like an apology and ultimately an acceptance from Keir Starmer that he did misspeak and then they take it from there and get the position to a better place. And he's lost, I think, already about 25 Labour councillors from this, to the point that Oxford Council no longer has a Labour majority because six councillors stood from that one. So, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, 25 councillors, I think Keir Starmer can live with it. But it is interesting that this seems to be now becoming probably one of his biggest party management problems to to date because we've had a situation where often on this podcast, and in pieces will say Starmer's taking control of his party. Look, you know, he's got rid of all the factions, it's now just Kir Starmer and the hard left. But here this isn't really about factions. Um, This is about deep-seated unhappiness with the position. And I think that there's some concerns just in terms of what the Labour Party should stand for, but there's also an electoral concern, which, you know, they think it's about 30 seats, where if the Muslim vote stays at home, does not want to go out for Labour, then actually the result could be quite different. And therefore, you also have Labour MPs asking for Keir Starmer to effectively take the position that SNP has taken, which is to call for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. I'd be very surprised if Kirsten were to take that position, at least anytime soon. But you can imagine a point, I think, in the coming days where he tries to do something more to clarify where the Labour Party sits on its position. And therefore, this unity and this mirroring of the Rishi Sunak line, I think, is going to have limits to it. Now, clearly, Kirsten is very sensitive on this because he looks at the anti-Semitism problems the Labour Party has had in the past and he wants to make clear it's a changed Labour Party and they abhor the attack by Hamas and they support Israel. But it's now crossed over, I think, through speaking in one way and I, and perhaps just not thinking when he said something, you know, in an interview. It's now become something much beyond that, which is, I, I do think, probably one of his biggest party, hand, party handling problems today.
1: Is there any way for it Starmer to get out of this, short of the conflict coming to an end, you know, soon? I mean, <laughs> for Labour, is there any way to triangulate between its Muslim constituency and the fact that it has been accused of anti-Semitism in the past?
0: Yeah, this is really difficult. And it's something that even outside of this uh, particular conflict between Israel and Hamas... Labour leaders have struggled with because if you were to look at this in, in an entirely raw arithmetical sense, and certainly Ed Miliband's team did do this on the question of Palestinian statehood, there are more Muslim voters than Jewish voters in in the UK, and that was something that that was sort of discussed in in Labour Party circles, you know, a decade ago when they when they were having that debate, and so. It is something I think that Starmer probably has a an an opportunity to change tack without having to announce he's changing tack, if that makes sense. Because you've got more international disquiet over the situation in Gaza, and at Foreign Office questions yesterday, James Cleverly and uh, the Development Minister Andrew Mitchell were obviously asked a lot about the humanitarian situation in Gaza and. Uh, While they've been talking mostly about the aid and about Britain's diplomatic efforts to get the Rafa crossing open and to get more aid trucks going into Gaza, they have also been pushed a lot more by MPs across the House on what happens if Israel does break international humanitarian law. And they're not currently really entertaining that premise. But I think James cleverly Went a little bit further yesterday than he than he or the prime minister had previously when he he talked about the the need for there to be independent assessments of whether Israel was keeping within international law and said what Rishi Sunak has said, which is that he and Sunak have been making the case to Israel to defend itself within international humanitarian law. And I suspect that there will be a, a sort of a gentle shift in tone from all of Israel's allies, actually, into, into saying, look, we, we just need to be careful that cutting water and food off is not collective punishment. And, you know, there's lots of people, particularly in the SNP, who are arguing this is already happening. This is already collective punishment. International law has already been broken. But I, I don't think that that anxiety is is confined to the SNP. I think it's just that governments have been understandably very wary of immediately dunking on Israel uh, when itself has been the victim of a terror attack. And as as Sunak has, I think, quite effectively actually made the case that, you know, firstly, it's not appropriate to ask Israel for a ceasefire when it's still being attacked by rockets. But also, actually, it, it's very difficult to say that Israel is taking all precautions to preserve civilian lives when Hamas are embedding themselves uh, amongst those civilians. But the point about food and water being, and electricity um, being cut off to Gaza is a separate one, which I think they've, they've dodged thus far. But it, it won't just be Starmer who needs to shift on that, I think.
1: That's a very good point. And finally, it might be a year since Liz Truss has been prime minister, but a trust era policy has been announced to be coming in very soon. And Katie, the announcement was made today by financial regulators. Tell us about it.
2: Yes, yeah, so this is the banker bonus cap, which is to be scrapped. And this was something that was thrown in the mini budget, along with lots of things, quite a busy mini budget, if we remember correctly. And it means that Rishi Sunik doing this has meant that Labour very quickly has leapt on it. Because the attack line they love to do with their pictures of Rishi Sunik and Liz Truss's pocket is this idea that, you know, he can't escape his party and he's being dictated what he does via Liz Truss. In this event, I don't think that is correct. I think it's an unfortunate side effect whereby this is something that the industry has been crying out for. It's something that I think lots of people uh, have often said is a good idea. I think if we remember James Fosseif previously on this podcast has spoken in favour of this policy, for example, and and therefore I don't you can say it is trust out per se, and it's probably quite a sensible measure if when you already have problems in terms of lack of competitiveness in the UK and in the city, but I think what is perhaps sensible for the economy and what Rishi Sunak is trying to do is potentially politically risky with a year to go to an election and that's the downside here but I suppose it just depends you know how they sell it off when Labour quite clearly want to go for it.
1: Katie and Isabel thanks very much and thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast do you rate and review us. Thanks.